With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply on Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Mentzel. Joining me as ever is Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? G'day, Menas. G'day, Jaleesa. I'm good. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy we're all back together. I probably ruined your introduction there, Menas, but um, I've been enjoying the cricket and, uh, <laughs> as things stand, looking forward to watching the um, final conclusion of the match tonight between England and the West Indies. No, you have not ruined my introduction at all, Paul, because this is like a test for Jaleesa. When we had Trent Copeland on the show, yeah. there was this smoke alarm in the background and I, I spent the whole time the, taking out the chirps of the smoke alarm in the editing process. So the reason I introduced <laughs> you first, Paul, is if I'd heard that chirp, Jaleesa would have been <laughs> out of here. But Jaleesa, yeah. you fixed the smoke alarm? The smoke alarm's fixed, but I have to say it had been going on for a alarming, like the pun, um, number of weeks before that podcast. And I had actually just learned to block it out because my ceilings are really high and I just didn't want to deal with it so um that was the only reason i eventually fixed it because you were giving me a lot of shit about it yes well thank god you have fixed it because this would have been a very short appearance from you uh, <laughs> nothing like they're trying to take out that chirp every 30 seconds it's just like oh anyway we got there in the end um, yeah it's you'll be pleased to know should there be a fire i will make it out yes that's what i was worried about all right, so uh, listeners, in this show, we're going we're gonna to take a break from the winter series. We, we, no feature interview today, but instead we're going to wrap up the cricket news and uh, talk about 
the next Ashes series in Australia and then bring it on home with Can't Let It Go. All right, let's start with the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And, and uh, since the last um, full episode, there's been some sort of um, solidification of the cricket schedule, so to speak. The, the Big Bash has been um, slated to start early December and the IPL's been uh, put in for mid-September. So that kind of means everyone else can now start to work out their cricket calendars. Paul, uh, looking at the schedule as a whole, what's your thoughts on it? Pretty full on. If you were a player that was going to be playing in all of the formats, you know, cricket is always full on. But when you throw in the additional bubble requirements and quarantine requirements, then for some of them, they're going to have a, a, an epic kind of six months. Look, we've got the September tour to England, which may well mean they have to leave a couple of weeks before to get into quarantine. That segues for some of them straight into the IPL, then straight back to Australia, potentially the Afghanistan test, then the tests against India, a few one-dayers, and then a few one-dayers and a T20 against New Zealand on the 1st of February. So for some of them, they'll be playing cricket in a bubble for almost half a year. So that'll be interesting to see how they cope. I don't buy the schedule. Yeah, what, what bit? I just can't see that how you're going to be able to put them into quarantine and expect them to perform back-to-back like that. And I think um, when I was talking to Josh Hazelwood a few weeks ago, I didn't realise, because I have never played cricket, obviously, um, but I didn't realise that he, he was really strong on the fact that the bowlers are going to have to uh, be able to keep bowling in quarantine. And I didn't realise that even two weeks would be so detrimental, but he was really strong on that. He said, no, we're going to have to, otherwise everything we're doing now is not going to be, you know, we're not going to, we're going to lose all the, that condition. And I just don't think you're going to be able to keep putting them in quarantine have them out of quarantine, in quarantine, out of quarantine. I also I have to say I'm a little bit concerned that, and maybe there's more going on behind the scenes, but I'm a little bit concerned that Cricket Australia aren't prepared enough um, for this because I just look at the NRL took literally months to get back up and we had Peter Volandis and I know we've got a few international listeners. So just to quickly explain the NRL is the rugby league competition in Australia and Peter Volandis is the chairman of the rugby league. And he pretty much got sport back going back up in Australia. Cricket Australia needs some really good leadership right now. And they seem to be infighting and there seems to be all these issues around the board and disagreements. And I really hope that they're, is a lot more going on behind the scenes that perhaps we know because otherwise I can't see getting those cricketers out of Australia then into Australia, out, out into a hotspot and then back in. I just, I'm not mm. convinced that they're going ahead. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of that, but I think you're right because we've seen it with governments that um, there's been, uh, for all the best will in the world, governments have made mistakes in this unprecedented time. We even saw it in England where the... Uh, arrangements over there were, you know, really, really good. Yet Jofra Archer, because they didn't have a coach to take the players between Southampton and uh, Manchester, Jofra Archer was able to go home and potentially put the entire um, tour under threat. You would hope that uh, there's someone who's in charge of Cricket Australia whose job it's going to be to do all those boring things really, really well. And it's hard. 
Yeah. And I just hope it's something that they're working out. We're, we're only really weeks away from this. And um, I hope it's something that they're working out right now. The players certainly don't seem to know much of what's going on. Perhaps they're just removed from it and there is a lot going on. But I hope it is something that they're working out now because Peter Volandi's had to work so hard to get the NRL back up. It was and at the time, there were a lot of people who said it shouldn't happen, including myself, but he had a vision and they have to have that vision to get, it's a little different. The NRL have got exceptions for players to come in. So Luke Thompson, Sonny Bill Williams will be coming in in a few weeks. It is a little bit different cricket sending Australians out. And I think, I hope that they've had this discussion extensively with the government by this point. Mm. Oh, I mean, there's so many elements to this, but... Uh, We've seen overnight that there's been news breaking that in the Major League Baseball that they've restarted, one team has 14 cases of COVID now and they Mm. played a game yesterday, basically, from when we recorded. So, you know, the the whole other team is compromised now. And that's my issue coming up to the summer is how will you have all these teams traveling around the countries? Uh, around the country and playing in multiple venues. I really think that if we're going to have these tournaments, we'll see a lot more bubble situations. And and I could see India playing just in Adelaide and Perth, that they, they put all the, the two teams in a bubble because remember, this is worth you know hundreds of millions of dollars, this series. I'll just put them all in a bubble and play them in a couple of venues where they can control the environment. Yeah, I I just I don't particularly I don't know about that Afghanistan series because uh, hearing David Warner speak about it, he didn't even remember that it was happening. So I just wonder how seriously that's being taken and it, there probably will have to be compromises along the way and I wonder if that's going to be one of them. Yeah, well, I think that's very doubtful with the, you take into the consideration having to quarantine the Australian players, getting into Perth, uh, you know, that's going to be an issue. So... Yeah, there's so many moving parts. but And the other one is the Big Bash. Can, you know, they play 61 games. Can you see eight teams traversing the country at the moment? Uh, I mean, they're Not gonna... at the moment, but you would hope that by the time that the Big Bash starts, I mean, if, if Australia at the moment existed solely as Western Australia, South Australia and Tasmania, for example, then I could see it happening because those states are basically free of it. Um, it's it's Victoria that's the problem, and to an extent, New South Wales. If we could both get it on, in, you know, under thing, get things under control, we could get a situation as they have in New Zealand, where life, apart from lack of international tourism, has basically returned to normal. That's the goal. Mm. Yeah, you just have to have a vision now, and you have to be working on it now because otherwise, it's too late. Yeah, I think they are working through a, a variety of situations and solutions. No doubt they are. And no doubt there's a lot that we don't know. I just hope that there's a really strong leader in there um, that is taking control like Peter Volandis did. Lord mm. Peter got sport <laughs> up back in Australia. I wonder and the baseball situation is different. I mean, America having days where they're having 70,000 new cases. They are, mm. thankfully, Australia at the moment is absolutely nowhere near that. And, and England, which is not as good as Australia, has been very, very insistent on that bubble, which is easy to do when you've got two teams. A lot less easy, as you're pointing out, minutes when you've got all the teams in the Big Bash. What about the idea of playing the Big Bash in two divisions? So say, quite simply, you were to put New South Wales, the two Sydney teams and the two Melbourne teams in one division, keep them together, and then you play the, the other four teams in another division. 
Uh, I mean, to have a risky Corona conference and a non-risky <laughs> Corona conference. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, the, if, you get, the, if you come last in the in the the non-risky one, you get relegated to the Corona state. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess that that's sort of the, the big element is what's going to happen. India are, are mooted to come for four tests. They'll come after the IPL, which will be, I mean, they'll get here sort of early November to mid-November. Um, and then, you, you know, you start the series early December. Um, and you could essentially have the Indian and the Australian teams in a hotel together in quarantine. Um yeah, I don't think it's going to be hard to get the. I don't think it's going to be hard to get um, teams in. I think that's going to be fine because it. It we've seen it can be done. I think that it, the harder thing is sending the Aussies away and then bringing them back in and away and back in and way back in. I think that's going to be more the problem. Yeah, well, the Poms are desperate to get the Aussies over there for that white ball series in early. Well, September. they should self isolate. Because they've got a lot of cases. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they are. They're in pretty strict quarantine. Um, so what else uh, jumps out to you from the schedule? Just with that Afghanistan test match, I think that uh, the point that you raised, Men, is um, the way things look, if Australian players are involved in the IPL till it finishes, which could be as late as the 8th of November, then given the Afghanistan games due to start on the 21st of November, you can't have a two-week quarantine period in that period. So I would be... Um, I'm very happy for the Australian players to miss the Sheffield Shield. I'm not, I'm not very happy, but I'm comfortable with it. But I'm not at all comfortable with uh, an Australian side taking on Afghanistan that is not our very best. And I think that they need to make it clear to the IPL that if that Afghanistan series is going to go ahead, well, that Afghanistan test match is going to go ahead, then Australian players need to be able to come back in time to play in it. Yeah, agree. My, my other issue is that as we record this, it's almost August. The domestic season with the one-day cup and the Sheffield Shield supposed to traditionally start late September and then played a lot of lot of those matches in October. Uh, but they must be in severe doubt now, which means, you know, that'll carry over to the back half of the season, February, March, and then you just won't physically be able to fit in all that cricket in that time. So... As much as I love the Shield, maybe they're just going to have to cut games out of necessity. Yeah, cut it to the second half only. And as long as they make that decision early, um, it does it does then give clarity. But it's, um, it would be disappointing. But you know, in extraordinary times, you, you're allowed to do extraordinary things. Play one round after the season. I mean, you can't play a 10-round comp starting February. Well, this gives me an opportunity, as I love to do, to, to reminisce about the dim, dim, distant, dark days. But... When the um, it's Gillette's the next... favourite part of every podcast. <laughs> when, they first... chin out. <laughs> when they first allowed some of the new states in, when Western Australia first came in in the 40s, they only allowed them to play one game against each state uh, because I think the travel times were too expensive. And so Western Australia won the Shield in their first season, even though they only played in, I think, four or five games. So there's been That's some funny. strange things. There have been some strange things that have happened in the past. They could just flip a coin. Heads, New South Wales gets it. Tails, Victoria gets it. And probably, you know, that's about the way it'll end up, you would think. All right. Our next headline. So that the schedule's coming together, but really the, the uncertainty clouds everything. So moving on now to the other headline. The, the, as we record this, it's going into the last day of the series England West Indies. England need eight wickets to close out the match and win the series two one. 
Um, obviously, if, if the West Indies can hold out on the last day, it'll change the complexion of this discussion. But I am absolutely mystified at Jason Holder bowling first twice, not once, twice. Like you can be an idiot once, but it's like yeah. people have been divorced twice. Like, what are you doing? You know, isn't it that saying that if you are thinking about bowling or batting, you think about bowling and then you bat? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. not word for word, but we get the the idea. <laughs> I I couldn't remember word for word. I don't I, I don't read a script. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, you bat first. The tenth time, you think about it and then you still bat first. And I think it's been right. variously attributed to everyone all the way back to W. G. Grace. Yeah, and there you go. But what annoys me about this is I really felt the West Indies had a chance in this series after their great victory in the first test. They played so well. And then they let this sort of, you know, huge cloud of negativity come in and cloud his decision-making. I mean, I was praising Holder after the first test, but if he's only bowling first because he thinks his batting's weak, he shouldn't even play the game. I mean, if you, if you think your batsmen are that bad, don't even play because I, I just wow. think that was a self-defeating attitude. I don't, I don't agree. I, I, I think that he probably should have batted, but um, you've got to play the cards that you're dealt. And the, the fact is his batting isn't all that good. He can't just suddenly say, oh, you know, as a matter of pride, I'm not going to turn up. You've got to well, be why really would you add scoreboard up. pressure then to your batting lineup? You, you'd go, okay, so not only are you that good, let's, let's put you out there and you're chasing 400. Well, that's, that wasn't what his intention was. His intention was to say, well, first of all, Ben Stokes got a lot of criticism for batting first in Southampton. And, you know, the, that second test match, I think that the West Indies bowlers kind of let him down. There was, they beat the bat numerous occasions. A couple of nicks, um, the game, you know, the complexion of the game could have been very, very different. I'm always cautious about the fact that we can make our opinions very, very heard very early or, or not at all and in hindsight. They're the ones that have to do it. And uh, I don't know. I think that it's... Um, did you send a tweet out um, instantly upon the, the, the toss criticising what, what he did? Absolutely. I think it was, it was, it was done as soon as the, the coin landed almost. And he said so my that. My question to that is this. When you have in the past sent out a tweet um, like that and then you've got it wrong, have you later on gone and quote tweeted it and said what a goose you are? Like a few, probably a few times. Uh, at least I've but thought it. That's the affair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I will. This is getting very personal, but my <laughs> thing is. I'm <laughs> My thing is though, Paul, like following on from the second test, say we say the second test, well, okay, you take those factors into account. You go into the third test, your bowlers are exhausted. You, 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 it's a deciding match. Why did he do it? It's the Tim Payne thing. It's the Tim Payne meltdown. And it was thing. working. It was working. They had England. Um, they had England about eight for 270. And they'd had a catch dropped. They'd had uh, probably an LBW given not out, uh, given not out because it was a no ball. They were in the position to roll England. And then they bowled badly to Broad and Broad batted well and they got away. Had they capitalised as they should have, if you got, you know, if they bowled England out to 280 or 290, that would have been a, a tick. Yeah, I still think they should have batted first. Just every time, every time. Um, I think they should have batted first for sure, but I'm I'm not that upset. <laughs> I'm just upset. I wanted the palms to get towed up. I wanted the windies to go over there and it hasn't kept me away. Lacking. <laughs> well, um, so Jaleesa, 
I'm mm. not sure if you want me to make this public, but you did send out, was it public or just to us that you're a big fan of Stuart Broads? And um, oh. uh, how, how did you go with his dashing innings? He's what the, the almost the quickest half century in test cricket history for England. That was, um, that was badly received by the Twitter sphere. I have to say. Oh yeah. Okay. You did put it out publicly. Oh yeah. I tweeted it and uh, got a lot of hate <laughs> um, because I am a massive fan of Stuart Broad and I have always been a massive fan of Stuart Broad and obviously we shouldn't be being Australians, but it's the, I love to hate him. Mm. And I really, I love the, uh, his bowling is tremendous. Why they left him out of that first test, I will never understand. That was the most bizarre decision from the start, but he proved everyone wrong. Yeah, his his batting though, and took the Shane Warne approach, just had a slog. Yeah, and that's the thing. His bowling is incredible, but he can bat and he can, he can lay the tail there. But I... Um, yeah, got a lot of hate for that tweet, but I, I love his carry on too. Like one part of the thing I don't like about our cricket teams, we don't have a lot of characters. We have a lot of really lovely, polite guys. And I guess we sort of have walked a really fine line in the past since the bull tampering scandal in particular, of not, you know, carrying on too much, but, um, Stuart Broad's carry on, I've always really enjoyed. So I, I love watching him. I can't get enough Stuart Broad. Why is it so unfashionable to like him? I, I'm ambivalent towards him. He seems okay, but there's so many Australians who dislike him. Does it all stem from that um, time he didn't walk in um, Trent Bridge in 2013? No, I think it's more his personality. People, people don't like this sort of, you know, he's a bit elite. Yeah, he's he, like a private schoolboy. Exactly. He's a private so school every, spoon almost boy. every English cricketer ever is, has been, haven't they? One hundred percent. But people don't like. I remember he. I remember he tweeted something a few years ago that got everyone so angry. It was something about like be grateful for the small things you have, and it was along the lines of like money's not everything. And everyone was just like, "How would you know?" Like he was so out of touch. So I think he's done a few things like that that get people offside. But I am glad to hear you're a fan too, Paul, because I love watching him. I love when he's against Australia and people. I love to hate him and people have just like, people just hate him. <laughs> Wish that smoke alarm was going off right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you could cut it me out. <laughs> what do you think about the fact that his dad is the match referee for this game? Chris Broad is the match referee. So I don't know about that. If you could have a, a match referee with your son playing. What if like, no, yeah, I, don't I know didn't know that. that. Is that true? Yeah. That seems silly. I mean, I understand that there's it's harder because of, of COVID restrictions, but I didn't even want there to be non-neutral umpires. And I think the umpires have done a very good job, but I just don't like the potential for controversy that the perception of bias creates. Well, what happens if Stuart Broad went crazy and had to be hauled in front of his dad? It just seems, you know, they could get someone else to do the job. Mm. I've really enjoyed this series and... Julissa, you probably won't understand this, but this sort of harks back to when Paul and I were younger and, you know, there wasn't multiple cricket matches going on at once that you could watch. It was We're not that old that it's incomprehensible to think about when we were younger, are we? Surely. <laughs> for for <laughs> Julissa, it is. <laughs> so, you know, like, Paul, I don't know if you remember, but you would remember that, you know, there wasn't the choice that we've had 
of cricket matches to watch. And, you know, having this test, it's like the only game of cricket going on in the whole world, um, you know, feels like, a, you know, feels really exciting. And, and, you know, you don't get that feeling very often. When I was a kid, I genuinely used to get really sad at the sort of end of February when the, mm. the cricket summer was over because quite often if there wasn't an Ashes series on, that was it as far as cricket was concerned until it's the, the one-day the one domestic cup reappeared in October. So the Colin uh, I thank you for it. That's the Colin Vincent oh. syndrome from our friends at Sport FM. <laughs> True. Yes. I was so happy to see this series um, come for a couple of reasons. It, firstly, I'm just completely sick of only covering rugby league. Um, as much as I adore rugby league, it's nice to have some other sport. Um, so I was itching for this series to start. But also for the other reason is that I thought it was a really good sign for cricket that it actually can be played uh, in these strange and unusual times because I did worry for a while. That I thought, how is cricket ever going to come back? I mean, this is done, this is done wonders for my campaign to get a hotel at the SCG. I mean, that's yeah. all, all I care about. But I'm on know, board that, now. I'm that on campaign board. has never been stronger. <laughs> You've now got um, two members on the, on the, on the, um, on the bandwagon. What I've liked is uh, for reasons that are boring, I can't watch this series on my TV. I can only watch it on my phone. And I've been in the habit each night of standing out on the balcony in the freezing cold, dressed warmly with a cup of tea, often as the rain is pouring down, just watching it on my phone in solitude. It's been a very um, soothing and joyous kind of experience out there alone in the cold. I've, I've loved it. Good. I love that there's just sport coming back. Like I've been, I'm, I don't sleep. So I've been watching this Formula One, the Bassmaster classic for anyone who's into fishing. They're all on at once. Does, does Merv have anything to do with that? Um, <laughs> no show. All right. So, um, by the next podcast, you'll know whether England, West Indies have held on for mm. a draw and then. There are other ways to find out as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're relying solely on this podcast, <laughs> I, think I, I am very concerned. I think I said by the next podcast, you'll know. Not, we'll, we'll tell you in the next podcast. Tune in. And please do not go on any social media until then. It's like exactly score updates. All right. So um, the other bit of cricket starting right after this test match on the 30th of July. Um, so two days from now, England are hosting Ireland in three ODIs at Southampton. And this is the beginning of the ICC World Cricket Super League. Um, and this is basically qualifies for the 50 over World Cup. Basically, um, the top 12 one-day sides and the Netherlands play off in bilateral series over the next um, few years. And I guess that's probably moved around a bit because of the COVID. But, yeah, they're going to be playing off probably in the next two years. And then the top seven sides and the host qualify for the 50 over world cup from that qualifying uh, phase of the tournament then the rest go into a, a qualifying tournament um which gets the other two teams now, obviously this brings in that debate that there shouldn't be 10 teams in the world cup but that's what we've got so now we do have some context for all these bilateral odi series that you know you don't want to be one of those top 10 sides that misses out on, uh, you know, drops, but, you know, below the top seven, I guess, and, and, and you don't qualify. So I don't know, 
changes to bilateral ODIs finally. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be cynical and I hope I'm proven wrong. But, you know, to talk rugby league, this would be like if they said, we're also going to include Norfolk Island in the state of origin. And each year, whichever side comes first and second automatically qualify for the state of origin. So let's see if New South Wales and Queensland can qualify or whether Norfolk Island will instead. It's like, we kind of know the top eight sides already. There's going to be a little bit of um, uh, interest around seventh and eighth and maybe the West Indies and Bangladesh and that sort of stuff. But it's, it's an attempt to give some context to one day cricket. My prediction is that um, it won't be a success and no one's going to be talking about where teams are in the table other than commentators who are paid to do it and to pump it up. Yeah, I have to agree with Paul. I just don't care. I just, I find this really hard to care about, but I will care if one of the teams doesn't make it. Yeah, that's what I'd love. If India in the 2027 qualification suddenly slipped to, to ninth, I'd just love to see the ICC have a collective meltdown and to think... <laughs> We have the World Cup without India in it. That's the end of sport. I'll say, ladies and gentlemen, that was cricket. That that actually, (laughs) in a weird way, would do well for this competition. Yeah, well, they would end this World Super Cricket League, World Cricket Super League, so quickly if India are in doubt. They'd just dissolve the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, Did we say the top eight? We met the top 18. We met the top 18. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, the top eight plus two. Yeah, I know you two are cynical about it, and I'm not going to say that this is this you know revolutionary idea that's going to change cricket. But I think it's it's the first stage in trying to give context to qualification for World Cups. I don't think this is right, but I think it's the first step in building a a better um, you know form of bilateral cricket. They certainly need to adjust it, but you know you need more teams playing one day cricket, and you need more teams allowed in the World Cup, and this doesn't really solve either of those problems. Yeah, I take your point. It could be the first stage of something. But the fundamental problem is always going to be that unlike other sports where if Brazil all of a sudden don't qualify for the FIFA World Cup, that's a disappointment, but it doesn't really matter because the World Cup is so big. But if Australia or India or Pakistan or England don't qualify for the Cricket World Cup, it is a real problem because there's just not that many nations that are um, capable. And there's still that gulf between top few than the rest so they're in a very difficult position uh, my my own favorite thing would have been more mini kind of world cup tournaments rather than all these bilateral series but this is the way they're going now an article from the daily telegraph by ben horn that and it, it makes you think why this hasn't been done sooner they have basically shipped up soil from the scg to reproduce spinning tracks in queensland so batters um, at the National Cricket Centre in Brisbane are exposed to varying conditions, including an SCG turner. Well, I mean, why aren't we going over to India and shipping a whole, a, a whole pitch across from there? I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it should have been done years ago, but it's good that they're doing it now. I like the way that they're thinking. And, yeah, we certainly should, uh, if, if Brisbane's the spot, then try to get as many different pitches that there even if they don't need to import the soil, find a way to do it. Just, I, I like it, but just to play devil's advocate, isn't it? Then doesn't it eventually take away the home advantage? For who? New South Wales? No, I meant India. if you were say, saying if you were going to bring soil from India. Yeah, you'd have to steal it, Julie. So there's no way to give it to us. It'd be, it'd be a heist. Or and even if you, yeah. We need the we'll, soil we'll, for a golf course. Every <laughs> Australian tourist comes back with... One um, pocket full of soil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that we should do that. 
Yeah. Like, have you ever seen The Great Escape, Jaleesa, where they have the, anyway. I have no idea what that is. Paul got it. It could be like the Shawshank Redemption. But um, instead of tunneling out of that, you don't know that one either? I've ne- I'm not a big movie goer. I watch sport and weird documentaries. If you want to talk about Tiger King, then I can talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was the cricket headlines, not the NRL headlines, as you may have thought. Uh, that was <laughs> the cricket headlines. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with David Warner. I spoke to him earlier today and uh, have a listen. Yeah, hi, Dave. I'm just wondering, um, you know, you've been touted as the IPL expert. Um, do, do you know sort of the, the way the IPL is going to come together now? Look, from, from what's been circulating, there's, uh, I think there's two, two sort of start dates, I think, around the, the 18th or 19th of September, pending quarantine in the UAE. Uh, and then if we do have to quarantine, I think that allows time for the Australian and English players to, to get there and, and, and start around the 25th, 26th of September. They're unsure and unclear yet, I, I, I think, of what dates that um, a lot of the IPL franchises are going to meet or um, gather in the UAE. There's obviously a few government regulations that we have to sort of adhere to as well. Um, I'm not even sure that the, the borders between Dubai and Abu Dhabi are open as well. So I think obviously the BCCI are working on, on that background. And, and the other thing as well is to get you know, the Australian and England players from the UK um, on the way back through to to Dubai, but when you look at it in the in the big scheme of things, there's about I think you know close to twelve to fourteen different countries that have to merge into um, the UAE. So it's going to be a, a difficult uh, process, but I'm sure they're um they're they're trying to get everything aligned at the moment to, to make that happen. Just wondering if um how you felt when you saw Ben Stokes lead England in the first test, um how sort of disappointed you are about your lack of you know, being able to ever lead Australia again. I think it's um, it was it was good for for, for him to get that opportunity. Um, you know, obviously he's a world class player, and it was named renamed vice captain after um, the six months suspension, or well, he didn't get to come out and hear to the ashes. Um, and that's just the the way that um, the ECB handled um, that decision. And you know, credit to him the way he went about that test match. Obviously, scored a lot of runs and took some wickets, and you know he. It's almost like he, um, you know, he, he had his, you know, his heart set on going out there and delivering what he does all the time when he puts on the, um, the England cricket outfit is to, to be the best person he can be and, and play the best cricket he can. From my perspective, it's about you know, keep on you know, walking out there and putting my best foot forward. Um, you know, it's, it's my focus is just preparing on each game and you know, that's all I can, I can control and, and, and worry about. And, at the end of the day, the decision's been made. It was in, it's in the past now. And for me, it's about, you know, playing playing with the freedom that I normally play with and, and enjoying my cricket. That was David Warner speaking uh, just before we recorded this podcast. I'm, of course, Manners. I'm here with Paul and Jaleesa. Yep, good stuff there from David Warner. Um, said all the right things about Ben Stokes, but whew, it seems like a real shame that he can't at least lead a big bash side ever. Yes, um, and I wonder whether Cricket Australia regret their decision. I, I think that um, I, I kind of endorse what he said. I think it is great that Ben Stokes got given the opportunity to lead, but there's no way he would have if he'd been an Australian. I think they would have kicked him out um, forevermore. And you look at the two things alongside by side that 
what Warner did was very wrong, but um, I know Stokes got um, exonerated um, in the court, but that video footage looked very, very bad. So I'm happy that Stokes is captain again, but I think they made a mistake in um, putting the, the ban on Warner forevermore being captain. I think that they should have kept it the same as Smith, giving him a two-year ban. I don't like Stokes being captain again. You don't like Stokes being captain again? No. So you think Warner and Stokes, no captaincy? I think when you compare the incidents side by side, I think Warner's is the lesser. But I just think captaincy is far more than what you do on the field. It is a representation of you and you and your cricket team and your country and whatever team you're leading. And I, I think you have to be a very clean skin to, to have it. I think it's a massive privilege. Yeah, I mean, and that video of Stokes decking someone is there for all to see whether... It was horrific. He, and, and Paul's right. If that happened in Australia, you'd be struggling to get back in the team. It, we have such high standards here. Yeah, and I, for the, I, I would be happy with both of them um, being captain. I certainly think it's harsh on Warner that, that, that he can't be. Uh, now, Jaleesa made the point earlier in the show that uh, there's been a lot of speculation about why Stuart Broad was left out of the first test match. Plenty of people have actually said that it's with a view to the ashes, which sounds incredible to me, uh, because why are they thinking about something that's not due for 16 months? But it shows the extent to which England uh, are focused on the ashes. And the, and the narrative is they don't think that Broad is likely to be in the ashes in Australia. They really want Wood and Archer to get as many overs underneath their belt as possible. Uh, and so it got me thinking, um, uh, what, what is the situation like if the ashes, you know, the ashes are 16 months away? How are England standing? And I want to make the point that with the exception of that famous victory in 2010-11 where they toweled Australia up, no question, 3-1, three, three innings victory, their record in Australia this century is cataclysmically, gargantuanly awful. They have played 20 test matches for one win, one draw and 18 losses. If it was any other side, we would have said to them, sorry, fellas, you're back to three test series in November. You'll be out of here before we even switch this summer, <laughs> like we've done with the West Indies. So as things stand, are England going to once again get belted? I guess for me, Paul, what stands out for me with this, this English side, if it remains roughly as it is now, is the match winners that are Ben Stokes and, and Joffre Archer. Um, yep. that, that they have the ability to blow a couple of games open. And... You know, we saw Archer's influence in the series over in England last year. It was pronounced. We've seen Ben Stokes' you know, overall effect on the team, you know, that he can drag his side to victory. So I sort of feel that Australia is much stronger on paper now, but they, England have a few match winners that you know, just needs a couple of other people to play out of their skins, and they could really battle hard in Australia. I wouldn't be surprised if our batting lineup is totally different than what we expect it to be now too, because we're still not really set. Okay. Is this going to be the anti-Joe Burns thing, Jaleesa? I know. <laughs> 45 minutes through the show without any anti-Joe Burns sentiments. <laughs> no, I refrain. Interesting, Paul, um, you know, you speak about this sort of need for England to try and build a squad. I was listening to Jared Kimber and Jonathan Norman on a talk sport cricket podcast. And they said that the English uh, brains trust are obsessed with this money ball sort of attitude to cricket about, you know, playing the right bowlers in the right venues and 
um, you know, really horses for courses. Um, and maybe they're too obsessed with it. But, you know, when you look at what Australia did in England last year, they did the money ball thing almost and totally changed their bowling attack for every game. So I don't know. They could go either way with it. I object to the use of Moneyball in that way because Mark Taylor did it a couple of years ago when he sort of had his little algorithm of Moneyball, Moneyball for T20 cricket. And it was basically like their batting average plus their bowling average or something that was, you know, the, the actual Moneyball, it's, it's highly sophisticated mathematics. It's a bit more than, oh, you know, we better play an extra spinner in Sydney. Um, it's, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's quite sophisticated stuff. So what are your tips? Um, for the Ashes in uh, 2021-22? I think it's way too early to say. Um, I, I think Australia is the strongest side at the moment. That's all I'll say. I'm not going to put... I think Australia is the strongest side at the moment, but I'm not going to put any prediction out there. It's a 5 nil. Um, <laughs> 5 nil. That's my prediction. Wild. I don't know. I think you're under... Uh, anyway. I just I love, I love it when the Poms come over here and get pasted. You know, those four or five nil summers, you know, are some of the best memories I've ever had. I mean, the one after the 05 Ashes where we just completely embarrassed them here in every test. The one where Johnson just ripped through them uh, in 13, 14. And then the last one. I mean, I just love it. By the time you get to the SCG, the team is a broken mess. The English journos are all sick of the country and sick of their team losing. The, the Barmy Army are all frustrated. It, it's, it's nothing better for an Aussie fan than seeing a broken English touring group. Don't forget 2021 as well. That's... um. Apposite because it's the same, you know, it's, it's the upcoming summer, except it's 100 years ago. We beat them 5 0 in 19, 20, 21 as well. I'm conscious that in 18 months' time, we will be going, This segment did not age well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared of that. I mean, the other side of it is, Jaleesa, I'll tell you, the summer 2010 11, uh, yeah. I remember sitting at the SCG, we'd already you know, lost the chance of regaining the ashes, and Matt Pryor scored 100. And I walked out of the SCG feeling disgusting i thought <laughs> this is the lowest moment of my life so far seeing matt Pryor towel up the aussies it was just the the end of me so yeah hopefully it, we it's worse that. when the i hate it when the team comes over they towel up the aussies and then i'm at the hotel the next morning <laughs> hey asking for interviews <laughs> hello team, everyone team that's done that is south africa consistently what have they won the last three series? No, there was the there was. I distinctly remember um, a India and Australia, the game that they lost at the SCG. What was it? Eighteen months ago? ago, two years ago, and having to stand outside the hotel at seven a.m. the next morning, you're just like, oh, nobody wants to see me. I don't want to see me. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our little, you know. Early preview of the actors. Um, 20, what is it? 2021? Who's it? Who wildest. 21, 22. 21, 22. Oh, yeah. 21, 22. Who says I'm, you know, we're behind the pace here? We're previewing series two years away, 18 months away. Um, <laughs> all right. We're going to take our final break. Then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. And. 
And we are almost at the end of this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Just remember, you can find us on social media at Oz Cricket Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also head to our YouTube channel, Cricket Unfiltered. We're doing a, a, a weekly live show there. So that's there for you to watch all week. You don't have to watch it live. It stays there all week. So go to YouTube and punch in Cricket Unfiltered. Now, Jaleesa. Mm. What is your can't let it go for this week? Uh, my can't let it go for this week is Raheem Cornwall. Um, the slip that he took in, the catch that he took in first slip to dismiss birds, it was quite a funny catch because he took it one-handed and I think he even looked like he was a little shocked that he took it. And, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed his reaction. I enjoy everything about that man. And I think a lot of people do too. He seems to have got a bit of a cult following. Absolutely. One of my favourites. Now, Paul, what's your can't let it go? Mine is just yet again, I have seen the instance of where a side is dominating as the West Indies were in the first innings of this third test match. They'd taken four wickets for hardly any. They were, the ball was on a string. They could have taken even more wickets. Stuart Broad comes out, starts playing a couple of shots. And rather than saying, we have been making the top order batsmen's lives impossible Let's just keep on bowling sensibly with a good attacking field. They pushed the field back. They bowled short. They bowled full. And the next thing you know, with great skill and some luck, Stuart Broad has hammered 60. And that was the the, the moment that really the game was taken out of reach of West Indies. And this is not to criticise the West Indies per se. It's to say that every cricket side in the world just seems to be addicted to this, that they just can't realise that when the tail ender starts playing attacking shots like that, you don't need to bowl bounces and send the field back. And it just does my head in. I just can't understand why it's the, why it's the way it is. Yeah, that is frustrating. The thing about Stuart Broad is, didn't he take a leaf out of Shane Warne's book? And he, you know, at the end of Warney's career, he decided to just go out and slog all the time. And I think Broad has taken the same attitude now, just go out there and just start smashing everything. And it seems to have worked because, you know, since he's been hit in the head, I think he was hitting the head in 2014. He's never really been the same. So he may as well just go out and swing swing hard and hope it goes a long way. Absolutely. And I think that's the key. that You want to entail end batsmen the ability to defend well when there's a, a specialist out there and the ability to hit long and clean when the, the opportunity presents itself. And there's no future in playing like a top-order player um, when you don't have the ability to do so. But when you can hit a long ball, you're scary. You know, um, You'd, you'd almost say to the West Indies, who are you more scared of with the bat, Stuart Broad or Dom Sibley? And they'd probably say, well, Sibley's not going to hurt us, but Broad might. Mm-hmm. Sibley will bore you to death. All right. My mm-hmm. can't let it go is the, the, the return of tournament cricket just, just, just on the horizon. The Caribbean Premier League kicks off on the 19th of August, only a few weeks away. I can't wait for some action-packed T20 cricket. I think they're playing it all in one island in the Caribbean, maybe Trinidad. I'm not sure if that's confirmed, but, yeah, they're looking at playing in one island. So in a few weeks, we're going to have the first T20 tournament back. That'll lead into the IPL. That'll lead into the Aussie summer. That'll lead into non-stop cricket again. (laughs) Cornwall actually has some great batting highlights on YouTube playing in in the Caribbean in that league. He's got a first-class century, Cornball. He's in, yeah, he's incredible. All right. Well, I think we should wrap this podcast up. Thanks so much for joining us again, Jaleesa. No worries. Can I give you a fun fact before I go? Yeah. 
when I was a child, um, because of cricket, cricket has a lot to uh, blame for my geography. I thought the West Indies was a country when I was quite young. <laughs> and it took a unnerving amount of time to discover it is not a country. I was the same. I was exactly. I think every cricket fan was the same. Yeah. Oh, good, because I've always been so ashamed of this. I remember being young and thinking, and when it clicked to me that the West Indies, that all these players were from different countries because the West Indies is not a country. I guarantee you that there are listeners out there now learning that for the first time. Um, Oh, um, what? It must be frustrating for the for the players of the West Indies. But I remember Tony Cozier used to say that the only two things that unite the West Indies are the West Indies cricket team and the University of the West Indies. And I used to think, it's a strange <laughs> thing to say, you know. And then when I suddenly realised, oh, that's because they're from different countries, I then suddenly understood. Um, I was pretty yeah. young, but, um, you know, I was probably, I don't know how old I was when I found it out, uh, probably eight or nine. But um, yeah, yeah, I reckon I was about eight or nine. And I remember... I- just looking, I think I was looking at the players and where they were saying they were from and I was like, where are they from? I'm confused. And then it was told to me that the West Indies is not a country. <laughs> uh, well, that's actually played a big role in the team. I know that it's it's been quite factional at times with the different countries and selection has been quite factional and causes a lot of problems. So anyway. One of the nice things was they were talking about this on the Sky coverage that after the win in the first Test match, they said that there was a phone in in the uh, in the West Indies where Jason Holder was on the line, the host of the radio show was on the line, and three prime ministers of the different islands were on the on the line to sort of thank you. So you had three prime ministers congratulating. Oh, that's him. so cool. Yeah. Well, on the, after that little bit of trivia, <laughs> um, we'll we'll end things. Julissa, great to have you on. We've got the winter series still going, so hopefully there'll be more interviews. But take care, Julissa. Take care. Good to see you both. I'm glad that's fixed, that smoke alarm. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. And thanks, listeners. Bye-bye.